I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. You're listening to episode 48. If you missed the pilot episode of this, your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above, which is found in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. Set your minds on things above. Because setting our mind on good thoughts, uplifting thoughts, encouraging, life-giving, true, biblically-based thoughts from above isn't easy. And that's why we do this podcast. We want to provide for you in each episode a thought from above that you can dwell upon so that your heart will be warmed and maybe put a smile on your face. Today's thought from above is this, relax, he runs the universe. The opening sentence of the classic book, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck is this, life is difficult. Three little words, life is difficult. And I probably don't need to convince you of that. I mean, let's just start with the beginning, with our childhood. Life was hard even then. I mean, yeah, sure, childhood is wonderful, but, you know, some of us struggled in our childhood. We struggled in school. We struggled to make friends. We struggled to find our way. And then came the teen years, those years filled with competition and rejection. My mom always said to me about parenting, well, when your kids are little, they have little problems, but when they get big, they have bigger problems. I mean, I don't disagree with that, but I think from the moment we're born, the moment we come out of that womb to our very last breath, life is just full of challenges. But let's jump to what my mom said. Bigger problems happen when we get bigger. I mean, to be sure, life does get harder, right? I mean, because at some point we go to high school and then there's maybe college and then work and a job and by its nature, it's hard. That's why we call work, work. Because even in the very best jobs, and I include my own, work's full of challenges. Maybe you have a bad boss or a challenging coworker, or you're saddled with tasks that are just too much to do and there's not enough time. And then there's marriage. Marriage, that's a piece of cake, right? Well, I mean, I think of myself as especially blessed with an amazing spouse. I have to say that because my wife might be listening. No, but still... Look, the moment you get married, it's no longer a solo show. You have to learn how to take a back seat, how to defer to somebody else, or to put someone else's needs ahead of your own. Again, not easy. I mean, look, there's a lot of very real problems in our lives. We sometimes face really tough ones. Maybe maybe we've lost a job or lost a loved one or a marriage that didn't work or broken dreams. Look, M. Scott Peck was right. Life is hard. And even more profound than M. Scott Peck's line was a line by Philo of Alexandria who wrote these very profound and very true words. Be kind to everyone you meet, for we are all fighting a great battle. I believe he's right. I mean, we may look good on the surface. Maybe we're presenting a good image. But you know what? I've come to believe that pretty much everybody is fighting some kind of battle, big or small. And I think most of us are really doing our best. We're trying. I know I am. I try hard every day. 
And just about every person I know does the same thing. And that's a good thing, right? We're called in this one precious life we've been given to do our very best. But sometimes even that's not enough. When we do all we can, sometimes we still feel a little afraid, a little anxious, a little worried. I've noticed that there are two things I tend to do when I feel overwhelmed or when the problems get too big or I feel stressed or anxious or afraid. And those two things are these, anger and worry. I mean, all right, here's a confession. How about that? Not long ago, we were recording one of these podcasts. In fact, it was a conversation. And we recorded this whole interview, one that was really great, only to find out that there was kind of a technical problem in the recording. And so the whole thing, at least we feared, was maybe a waste of time. And I remember the first thing I did was to get, well, to get mad. I was like angry. I thought, oh, no, we did all of this work. Oh, how did this happen? And it carried on. I even thought about it the next day. And sure enough, my frustration came right back. The second thing that I did was I worried. I thought, well, we did all this recording. It's going to be a real setback. We're going to have to re-record it. I worried about a bunch of things, you know, like will our guest be able to come back again? Will he even want to do it? Or will he be upset about it? Or will it be as good as the first one? So we get angry. We get frustrated. We worry. And I know that you're probably the same as me, right? That's what a lot of us do. But here's the thing about frustration and anger and worry, and that is this. They actually do nothing good, and they do a whole lot of bad. Now, we may think that being angry does something positive. Maybe that'll affect the change. But you know what? It actually doesn't. I mean, our anger may make those around us recoil, and it may have a short-term effect on making other people behave a little differently, behave as we want. But in the long haul, anger is just destructive. Same with worry. Worry is just superstition. Now, I explained that on a previous podcast, how we think that by worrying we're going to make a difference. We worry about something and then, well, it works out. And we think, wow, I was a great worrier there. See what I did with my worry? But in reality, our worry does nothing. It's no more helpful than a rabbit's foot or a lucky sock. But worry does do a lot of bad. We've learned that it affects our blood pressure and a whole bunch of other health problems. Worry distracts us, it affects our relationships, and it makes it impossible to enjoy life. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels, and it's a really memorable story, most, most people know it, is the story of Martha and Mary. Even though it's only in Luke's Gospel, it only appears one time in the New Testament, most people know the story. And I think that's because, well, we preach on it and we teach on it because it's so helpful for us to think about. Now, if you don't know the story of Martha and Mary, basically it goes like this. They were two sisters, and Martha was responsible for this really big meal. She had to prepare a meal for what some scholars think might have been as many as 70 people, which is huge. So Martha felt all this pressure, right? She had to prepare this gathering, you know, this meal for all of these people. And there she was by herself. In contrast, her sister Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was listening to Jesus teach. And that was a bold move because here was a woman behaving like a disciple, which was kind of a male thing. So kind of a cool little side part of the story is that Jesus included Mary. But back to Martha. So she's really frustrated. She's thinking, I have all of this work to do 
and no one is helping me. And I think she's particularly mad at her sister. So what does Martha do? She does what many of us do in situations like this. She tattles. <laughs> she, she goes to Jesus and she complains, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. And then Jesus responds by saying, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. And then he goes on to say something I think probably maybe upset her a little bit. He said, look, there's really only need of one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part. The reason I think that might have upset Martha a little bit is because it was kind of like saying your sister's smarter than you. She did the right thing, which is probably not helpful. But nonetheless, there's real wisdom in what Jesus is saying, and it's found in those two little words. There's only one thing needful, one thing. Now, I don't fault Martha at all, and if you pay close attention, you'll notice that you know, she's just doing her best. But notice exactly what she says when she tattles on her sister. Listen again to her complaint. This is what she said to Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. Now, I tried to accentuate that so you'd notice that three times she references herself. And that's where the text really speaks to me because the struggle, I think, when we're really frustrated, when we're facing challenges, is to see our world and our problems self-referentially. In other words, we tend to look at our problems in light of ourselves and our own resources. So think of my earlier confession, right? Like I was upset because, well, I'd worked hard and I felt let down that we'd done all this work, we'd have to do it again. I, I, I. Because Jesus really speaks the truth into these situations. There's only one thing needful. And what is that? To bring Jesus into our situation. I can face my problems with my own resources, my own cleverness, my own abilities, dare I say my own anger and worry, because I think those are my resources. But in the end, I'm going to be disappointed and frustrated. Or I can face my problems in connection, in light of, in reliance upon Jesus. So, let's do that now. Let's think about a different passage of Scripture, which is Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. I love Colossians 1, 15 and following. I think it's profound, it's powerful, it's important. And so, I just want to read part of it. It's actually what's referred to as a Christological hymn, like it's a hymn about the person of Jesus. It probably even predates Paul and the letter to the Colossians. But nonetheless, Paul was smart enough to say, let's include this in this brilliant epistle. Maybe even Paul had it memorized, I don't know. But here we go, right? Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He, Jesus himself, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now that's pretty profound. Did you notice there's one word that occurred in there several times? 
all, 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 and everything. That's pretty profound. In Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself. Jesus is the beginning of all things. He's the the ruler of all things. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things. Now, why am I stressing that? Because Jesus is at the center of everything. So there are three observations that I want to make about that little passage uh, about Jesus, who is the focus, and I think it's something that is important for our story about Martha and Mary and all of us. Three things. First, Jesus created the entire universe. Second, Jesus holds everything together. And third, Jesus has first place or preeminence in everything. So literally, everything is under the lordship of Jesus. I mean, Martha was right when she said, Lord, right? She said, Lord, tell my sister this. But she failed to really see him as Lord of her own life or her own situation. Jesus also said of himself in what we call the Great Commission, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did you catch that? That's Matthew 28. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, what does that leave out? Nothing. Jesus has authority over every single aspect of life. That's why the thought from above is this. Relax. He runs the universe. Now, I don't want to be glib, and I don't mean that we're not to care for our lives or try hard or do our best or to do our part. But here's what I'm saying. When we face problems and obstacles and challenges, when we feel ourselves becoming angry or anxious, we would do well to turn to Jesus, to invite him into our situation, to see our situation in light of Jesus and his resources, his power, his provision, his wisdom. And that is why we can ultimately relax. So back to the podcast, back to my confession. You know what happened? Well, in time, the producer of this podcast was able to figure it out. In fact, my worrying or being angry or upset, all that was a waste of time. It worked out. I want to close by quoting the chorus to an old gospel song. It's actually an old Gaither song, and it's called Because He Lives. And the he in Because He Lives is Jesus. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. He lives. Jesus lives. All authority in heaven and on earth are his. He is far bigger than any problem you're facing. He just wants to be a part of your life. He lives, and that's how we can face tomorrow. He lives. And that's why we don't need to fear. He lives, and that's why life is worth the living. And despite all of its troubles, life is, oh, so worth the living. I hope you join me next week for episode 49. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at apprenticeinstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, and you can also subscribe, which means you'll get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind, your answer will be, 
things above.